Support for the South Carolina lead is made possible in part by Columbia Metropolitan Airport. For more information, flycae.com. Hello and welcome to the South Carolina lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on January 7th, 2021 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at what President Joe Biden had to say about the first anniversary of January 6th, as well as what members of the South Carolina delegation did and did not say. And we get a curtain raiser on the upcoming legislative session with two statehouse reporters. In business, we have data. There's data. On December unemployment and increasing mortgage rates. And in health, we hear from federal officials about Omicron, boosters, and more. And DHEC has the latest on testing and how the current flu season is shaping up. It's not good. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from y'all about your life during these uncertain times. We certainly want to hear from you, so that's why we want you to call. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. If you're listening on your phone or your smart speaker, just call or tell Alexa to do it. I think you could probably tell her to do that. And let us know what's going on in your world. We want to hear from you. Things are crazy right now with cases, obviously. You've been watching the news and listening to the podcast. Um, Pretty much everyone you know, everyone I know, (laughs) seems to have been getting hit by this, even though they've been pretty cautious. So let us know your stories. Uh, We're all in this together. No one's going to blame you for catching COVID. Let us know what's up at 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 14,746 total deaths, and currently there are 1,048,852 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of January 7th at 4 p.m. Our current percent positive is 29.3%. There are 1,501 patients currently hospitalized with COVID-19. That's up 59% from last week. 275 patients are in intensive care and 132 are on ventilators. And right now, 52.1% of all eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. Thursday marked the one-year anniversary of the Capitol insurrection, incited by former President Donald Trump, who, for months after he lost the election, spread misinformation about the validity of its result. A mob of his supporters stormed the Capitol, injured 140 police officers, threatened the certification of the free and fair election, and caused some $30 million in damage, while the cost to our country's democracy and reputation is incalculable. President Joe Biden marked the occasion with a fiery speech in Statuary Hall, right outside the Senate chamber, where a year before, insurrectionists claiming to be patriots broke into, intimidated our elected leaders, and threatened the safety of the vice president, House Speaker, and members. One year ago today, in this sacred place, democracy was attacked, simply attacked. The will of the people was under assault. The Constitution, our Constitution, faced the gravest of threats. Outnumbered in the face of a brutal attack, the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, 
the National Guard, and other brave law enforcement officials saved the rule of law. Our democracy held. We, the people, endured. We, the people, prevailed. For the first time in our history, a president had not just lost an election, he tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power as a violent mob breached the Capitol. But they failed. They failed. And on this day of remembrance, we must make sure that such attack never, never happens again. Biden said the insurrection was a culmination of months of lies created and spread by Trump from the highest office in the nation, putting power over principle and a bruised ego over a peaceful transfer of power. Just an example, John Eastman, a conservative lawyer working with Trump's legal team, prepared a two-page memo called The January 6th Scenario, which outlined how then-Vice President Mike Pence could throw out the 2020 results. He didn't. We didn't see a former president who had just rallied the mob to attack, sitting in the private dining room off the Oval Office in the White House, watching it all on television and doing nothing for hours as police were assaulted, lives at risk, the nation's capital under siege. This wasn't a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. They were looking to uphold, they weren't looking to uphold a free and fair election. They were looking to overturn one. They were looking to save the cause of America. They were looking to subvert the Constitution. This isn't about being bogged down in the past. It's about making sure the past isn't buried. That's the only way forward. That's what great nations do. They don't bury the truth. They face up to it. Sounds like hyperbole, but that's the truth. They face up to it. Biden, who ran on fighting for the soul of the nation and unifying it, closed his speech saying he'll do whatever it takes to preserve democracy and fight for it. I did not seek this fight brought to this Capitol one year ago today. But I will not shrink from it either. I will stand in this breach. I will defend this nation. And I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. We will make sure the will of the people is heard, that the ballot prevails, not violence, that authority in this nation will always be peacefully transferred. I believe the power of the presidency And the purpose is to unite this nation, not divide it, to lift us up, not tear us apart. It's about us, about us, not about me. Deep in the heart of America burns a flame, lit almost 250 years ago, of liberty, freedom, and equality. This is not a land of kings or dictators or autocrats. We're a nation of laws, of order, not chaos, of peace, not violence. Here in America, the people rule through the ballot, and their will prevails. So let us remember, together, we're one nation, under God, indivisible. Former President Trump made several statements during the week, including on Friday, saying in part, quote, The people see right through that sham. 
they see a cynical politician who ran for office promising unity, who is now doing the most divisive thing possible, slandering his political opponents as domestic terrorists, just like insecure dictators do in communist countries, quote. It's worth noting that even Republicans like Senator Lindsey Graham have called the insurrectionists domestic terrorists. On Thursday, Graham continued his condemnation of the attack, but said Biden's speech was an effort to resurrect a failed presidency more than marking the anniversary. Congressman Jim Clyburn said it was, quote, a day of discredit and disgrace and a test to see if this generation rises to the occasion and protects the integrity of this democracy, quote. Republican Tom Rice, who, as a little refresher, on last January 6th voted to decertify election results, which he now regrets, also voted to impeach Trump later that month. Now, Rice said Thursday that Trump's actions and inactions that day were reprehensible and that it continues to live in American history as the day we nearly lost the country our founders fought for and left for us to preserve. Third Congressional District Republican Representative Jeff Duncan tweeted, The usual suspects in the media are going to praise Biden's partisan speech but they're also going to ignore basic facts because the truth won't fit the narrative. Joe Biden hasn't united America. He's breaking it with his policies. Republican Congressman William Timmons of Greenville condemned the violence, but called the aftermath of it a dramatic politicalization of a law enforcement matter, and that instead of investigating the security failure, the Speaker and her sham committee are more interested in attacking President Trump and perpetuating their false narrative. Charleston Representative Nancy Mace, who was on the airwaves nonstop after January 6, deriding the attack, and unlike other Republican members of the delegation voted to certify the election results, tweeted Thursday that, quote, one of the first bipartisan actions I took with Representative Charlie Crist as a new member of Congress was to recognize Officer Eugene Goodman's heroism. Thank you, Officer Goodman, for your dedication and service to our country. Now, just a note, their bill was replaced by a broader bill by Speaker Pelosi that sent the Congressional Gold Medal to all officers who responded to the attacks and specifically mentioned the actions of Goodman and three other officers. Representative Ralph Norman did not support that recognition because the text of the bill called the attack an insurrection. Norman, along with Representative Joe Wilson and Senator Tim Scott, did not tweet or issue statements on Thursday. Like we said before, 140 officers were injured that day, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was attacked by the mob, died January 7th from multiple strokes. And Officers Jeffrey Smith, Howard Liebengood, Gunther Hashida, and Kyle DeFreitag died by suicide in the days and months after the attack. Four people in the Capitol crowd also died. According to Mother Jones, more than 725 insurrectionists have been arrested. 225 have been charged with assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers or employees and more than 75 of those were charged with using a weapon or causing serious harm to an officer. Now let's bring it to the state level. The legislative session starts next Tuesday. That's when all 46 state senators and 124 House members, well, 123 since Newberry Republican Representative Rick Martin has been suspended pending a criminal investigation, well, they all return to the State House here in Columbia. Lawmakers pick up where they left off. Bills that weren't set to the governor are still active, and debate will once again fill the chambers and committee rooms. It'll be my fifth session. How exciting. But don't worry if you don't follow every breathless tweet or committee decision. That's what this podcast is here to bring you. Which is why we start off this year previewing the session with reporters Jeffrey Collins of the Associated Press and Joe Bustos with the State Newspaper. I spoke with them on This Week in South Carolina, and in part one of our conversation, we talked about new Senate leadership, congressional redistricting, and the massive amounts of money lawmakers will have to allocate. Here's Jeffrey Collins. 
Well, it's a combination of longevity and personality. I mean, you know, the Senate took over, the Republicans took over the Senate in 2000 in large part because of Leatherman's orchestrations after he switched from being a Democrat to a Republican. And then he leads the Senate Finance Committee, which writes the budget and is probably, if not the most powerful body in the state, one of them, for that next 21 years. And, you know, that kind of leadership and experience is hard to replace. Now, it'll be interesting taking over the Senate Finance Committee is the Senate, the former Senate President Harvey Peeler, who's been waiting for this shot for that 20 years. I mean, he spent just as long in the Senate as Hugh Leatherman, but Leatherman got the nod on seniority because his last name starts with L hmm. and Peeler starts with a P. So that's going to be a very big difference. I mean, a lot of people I don't think realize that Harvey hmm. Peeler is one of the more conservative senators in the South Carolina Senate. He gets lumped in with people like Thomas Alexander and Hugh Leatherman, who have been there, Nikki Setzler, who have been there a long time, but as, as, as far as that peer group goes, he's a very conservative senator. I mean, he's one of the only a handful of maybe three or four who voted against removing the Confederate flag both times it came up in 2000 and in 2015. So th there may be a big change. I mean, Hugh Leatherman's finance committee, the main goal was to keep South Carolina's finances as stable as possible. He he resented tax cuts, not resented, but he kind of tried to, to, to stall tax cuts and things like that because he felt like the state needed its revenue. It didn't need to cut taxes and then realize like states like Alabama and Kansas that suddenly we needed that revenue and end up in a jam. That's how yes. things get done a lot of times too. But uh, Joe, when we talk about these changes in the state house, you know, right now in the, in the Senate, there are 30 Republican seats, 16 Democratic seats. Uh, those senators are not up for re-election this year. But then when we look at in the House, it's 81 Republicans and 43 Democrats. Um, where, where do we see this going based on what the maps are showing right now and how this, how these maps could alter the future of the state house right now? Well, there's one there's one thing to keep in mind that's 14 state lawmakers have been drawn into districts with other <laughs> incumbents. So mm. they will be setting up potential primaries. So it's 10 representatives and four senators. Now, uh, as, as it comes to the House map, analysts have predicted five Democratic seats could flip red in the next election uh, if these maps hold up. So that could make the uh, the, the House even more conservative, more Republican. Uh, we won't see the effect of the Senate changes just yet. Again, they're not up for re-election until 2024. But if demographic trends continue, it could be Republicans adding potentially two more seats to their majority. Uh, talk to us about what you might see in this budget, Jeffrey. I mean, we had a big one last year. We've been getting all these billion-dollar surpluses. Uh, tell us about some of the funding that's already in place that they're expecting to use to craft these budgets when they get back uh, next week going forward and, and what you expect to see some priorities be. Hey, the, the, the letter is B and the word is billions. Um, there's going to be billions of dollars out there, not only in COVID relief funding, but also in money left over that the state didn't spend because it was very careful during the COVID-19 pandemic to uh, not spend a lot just in case the economy ended up going, doing worse than it ended up, than what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's going to be like one of those machines where people are just grabbing cash. I mean, you know, state agencies, if this is your shot, if you, uh, you know, yesterday I was listening to the DHEC board meeting and they're going to ask for a new lab. They want a new health, you know, a new lab to screen for infectious diseases and everything. Um, you're going to have corrections asking for a lot more money to further improve security. I mean, uh, roads are going to be humongous. I mean, I think you'll see a, a massive 
influx of money into the roads. I mean, South Carolina added 500,000 people over the past 10 years. Did it add enough capacity in the roads to be able to keep up with that growth? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity to spend money on expanding highways, adding new roads and that kind of thing. I mean, there's going to be a lot of requests probably a lot more than can be done. So mm -hmm. as my old friend Jim Davenport used to say, the big debate in the Senate and the House is when you have a lot of money as opposed to a little. More money, more problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And on the way out, let's think of our airports, especially Columbia Metropolitan. And this is not because we have a new sponsor, but just a little tidbit. $32 million is coming to 46 airports in our state, courtesy of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Congressman Clyburn, the only South Carolina House member to support the bipartisan infrastructure bill, said the funding can be used for a multitude of issues. Senator Lindsey Graham backed the trillion dollar bill in the Senate, but Senator Tim Scott did not. Let's do some numbers in our business section. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that employers added 199,000 jobs in December, well below economists' expectations of 450,000, and also below the 249,000 that were added in November. The unemployment rate did budge down to 3.9%, and average hourly earnings rose by 0.6% month over month, or 4.7% for the year. So that's good news right there for those people making that hourly wage going up by 4.7%. Now, those low job numbers clashed with the 807,000 jobs added in December, according to ADP. So, different numbers there, different metrics to measure unemployment. But moving on, let's look at something that's going up, and that's mortgage rates. Yep, they're rising. The average 30-year fixed rate was around 3.46% Friday, up from its 52-week low of 2.83%. The Wall Street Journal reports that ultra-low interest rates have been a major force in the housing boom of the last two years. Households that kept their jobs and saved money during the pandemic seized on low borrowing costs to buy bigger homes that could accommodate working or schooling from home. Second home purchases and investor demand for rental properties also surged. With the number of homes for sale well below normal levels, buyers have competed in bidding wars, pushing prices to new highs. For example, the median existing home price rose 13.9% in November from a year earlier to $353,900, according to the National Association of Realtors. The group believes that mortgage rates will hit 3.7% next year, which should still keep the housing boom going. Now, with the Federal Reserve on course to raise short-term interest rates this year, mortgage rates are likely to accompany them higher, making home affordability an even greater challenge. This week, state epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell told reporters that hospitalization rates are going up and that people experiencing mild symptoms should not be going to emergency rooms, which are getting overwhelmed. Bell also provided an update on the testing situation facing the state and reiterated when people should get tested. We know that testing sites around the state are experiencing long lines and the average turnaround time for test results is delayed. 
This is due to the enormous number of people showing signs of illness or being exposed to COVID in light of this current surge. We're actively working at DHEC with our own sites, with our contractors and our non-DHEC provider partners to assist in reducing these wait times. We're also asking residents to account for potential delays when determining when and where to seek testing, especially if they're seeking a test to satisfy an employment requirement or if they're concerned about interacting with family or friends. The current recommendations for who should get tested includes people with COVID symptoms, regardless of their vaccination status, unvaccinated people who were a close contact to someone with COVID. Uh, they should get an initial test as soon as they've been identified as a close contact and should be tested again five to seven days after their known exposure, regardless of whether or not they have symptoms. And then vaccinated people who are a close contact should get tested five to seven days after their known exposure, regardless of whether or not they have symptoms. Bell said it's difficult to figure out when the surge will peak, but could end sooner if more people got vaccinated and used no mitigation tactics. As for what will make those behavior changes stick at this point, well, here's what she had to say. So some of the early opportunities that we missed when uh, people were sort of questioning the threat, um, I think now we're moving into a stage where we have seen the threat, we have seen multiple surges. And if we, if, if I had a, a way to change that refrain, as you put it, to translate into behavior change, I would certainly give that different message. But um, what I'm hoping now is that people will look at missed opportunities and look at what we're confronted with now and see what we can do at this particular time in history to change our course. Um, I will say that fortunately the refrain is the same because we know what works. It's just at what point will we widely adopt the measures that we know that will prevent the spread of a respiratory virus from one person to another. We have these things within our means um, I don't have an answer to the question of how we can make the change that is available to us. I thank you for asking it, and I hope that people will um, be concerned about the disruption of society, all the things that we've discussed, hospitalizations and deaths. And if they have not yet done that, we'll ultimately make a decision to help us out of this. Now let's stick with DHEC, but move from COVID to the flu. The flu is also widespread in South Carolina. Though confirmed cases have declined from our recent peak two weeks ago, the number of influenza-like visits to providers continues to climb. Historically, these rates will taper a bit and then spike again in a few weeks. So far, there have been 5,477 lab-confirmed flu cases, which blows out the 1,400 confirmed cases we saw in the 2019 season at this point. As we know, basically no one got the flu in 2020, now, out of those 5,477 lab-confirmed flu cases, we've seen, so far, 57 have a co-infection with COVID. Now, despite the high number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths are much lower than the 2019 season, with only two flu deaths to date. Medical professionals recommend that you keep washing those hands, you little grubby monsters. Cover those coughs and sneezes. Seriously, just do it. It's disgusting. And mask up. Stay home and away from me if you're sick. Lead recommends using your sick leave. If your job doesn't pay for that, well, it's time to join the great resignation and get a job where your health is valued. 
Let's go from the state level to the federal level, with federal health officials estimating that 95% of cases in the country right now are Omicron, with the remaining 5% being Delta. This week, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky approved a shortened time frame for both Pfizer and Moderna recipients to get boosters, from six months since their last shot to five months. The CDC also approved expanding Pfizer boosters to children as young as 12. And children aged 5 to 11 who are moderately or severely immunocompromised should get their third shot 28 days after their second shot. Here's more from Dr. Walensky. Current data demonstrate that receiving a booster dose is critical to provide protection against COVID-19 and the Omicron variant. CDC surveillance data and other studies from around the world have demonstrated the benefit of a booster dose after receiving only a primary series, including decreased risk of infection, severe disease, and death caused by COVID-19. In large national studies from Israel, comparing those who are boosted with those who are fully vaccinated, a booster dose decreased infection by 10 times in all age groups. Similarly, in those studies, boosters resulted in a decrease in severe disease in individuals over 60 years old by 18 times and decreased severe disease in people age 40 to 59 years old by 22 times. And people who received a booster shot had 90% lower mortality due to COVID-19 than those who did not receive a booster shot. While these studies were done when Delta was the dominant variant in Israel, we expect to see a similar trend of increased protection over those who are boosted with Omicron. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, outlined preliminary research that finds Omicron to be less severe for folks, including children. But there is still a big caveat. If you look at data from the United Kingdom, from three separate sources, the UK Security Agency, the University of Edinburgh at Scotland, and Imperial College. Each of these show that in various parameters of disease severity, Omicron appears to be less than Delta. Although this data is a bit more preliminary, but nonetheless indications from Houston, Texas indicate that we are seeing similar situations here in the United States. But the big caveat is we should not be complacent since the increased transmissibility of variant may be of Omicron might be overridden by the sheer volume of the number of cases that may be of reduced severity, but could still stress our hospital system because a certain proportion of a large volume of cases, no matter what, are going to be severe. So don't take this as a signal that we can pull back from the recommendations that you just heard from Dr. Walensky about the need for vaccination, for boostering, for wearing masks, and all the other CDC recommendations. Remember when Ohio, the great state, the Buckeye State, gave lottery tickets to folks to incentivize them to get the COVID vaccine? Do you think that made a difference in turning people out to get vaxxed? Think about it. Answer right now by yourself. You feeling lucky? You think you know the answer to this? Well, it did not make a difference, according to Boston University Medical School researchers. You were right, or you were wrong. Previous BUSM research found that Ohio's lottery system to incentivize vaccination was not associated with increased vaccinations. Now, a new study from the same researchers found the same results despite expanding their data to include 15 additional states. 
So I guess lottery tickets just aren't good enough. Guess we'll just settle for lessening the severity of the disease and staying alive instead. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and we want to hear your stories as well. Honestly, we do. That's why we set up a voicemail. That's why I want you to call us. Honestly, no lies. I'm not lying here. 803-563-7169. He lies a lot, and this is not when he's- That's my personal number now. <laughs> Don't give that out. <laughs> we still need- We might need to change the uh, the greeting on that, the but greeting? it's still kind of fun. It's like I, a little mini time capsule. You know? I, think, I think we should have people call in and hear the greeting, and if you really hate it, yeah. you uh, let us know, greeting. and if we get enough people to say that they hate it, I will change it. But just know- that it is a pain. Yeah. It's annoying. But also, yeah, I don't want to ruin it for the... What? I don't want to ruin what it is for people that haven't called. It's, it's a little treat from back back in the 2020. It is. It's it's a time capsule in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't even quite remember what it says, but I remember that Gavin was staring at me while I was doing it. Yikes. And he was like, this is weird. What are you doing? And I was like, I, this is what it is. So um, I don't have that memory anymore. We, there's a lot of things we don't remember, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, but anyway, Gavin, we got a call, okay? Ooh. We got a call. Okay, let's hear from that caller. Gavin, you asked, and you shall receive. <laughs> he called uh, because you asked a certain sect of people to call in. So oh. are you ready? Uh, I think so. Okay, here we go. Hi, this is uh, Michael. I'm, with, I'm in uh, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And I just wanted to reach out to you guys uh, with the great resignation happening all across the country. Uh, I was a part of that. Uh, resigned from my job back in September um, after they moved me here to Charleston area. Uh, I left uh, a retail management position, and I am now doing Uber full-time uh, and am doing financially much better. And I think that that is the biggest part of the story is that uh, people are moving from positions and using autonomy and uh, their agency to find time and places that will provide them a better range of quality of life uh, with a work-life balance that works best for them and provides them a financial stability that they maybe have never experienced before. And I think that that is an extremely important part of uh, the great recognition that may be getting lost in some of the uh, data, data they like to report on it as. And other than that, I just uh, looking forward to 2022 and uh, South Carolina moving along, being great again. And uh, hopefully we can uh, move forward and have some actual positive results out of our legislative branch and our governorship. Fingers crossed. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Michael from Mount Pleasant, a great resigner calling. Wow, love that firsthand account. Retail management to Uber. That's fascinating. And God bless you, Michael. Uber drivers are way in demand, and I bet you're making bank. But I hope your passengers have been too rowdy. I know how things can get down there. I mean, you hear all these stories about Uber drivers, and you see, especially nowadays, like Yeah, assaulted. dash cam videos and oh stuff. Crazy, yeah. So stay safe out there, Michael. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I uh, like the Call us back with some stories. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uber, Uber after dark. Yes. Taxi cab confessions. That's what the voicemail's for. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you only had to ask basically one time and someone called in. I know. That's guys, a that's We a are starting 2022 off on the right foot, folks. What else do you want to hear about, Gavin? Huh? <laughs> 
how will I die? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're like, you're going to get struck by lightning, you freak. Someone call, yeah, someone pay, uh, get a cameo from Miss Cleo and get her to call Gavin and tell him his future. <laughs> well, that's a good reference to uh, Don't Look Up, but she's still haven't seen yet, right? No, I'm going to watch it for the okay. next episode because we do have another voicemail and he mentioned, they, they do mention okay. uh, Don't Look Up. Very good. So I am going to watch it, I promise. Gavin, we have, uh, there are a lot of things coming up for us right now, right? Uh. I mean, yeah. it, this it's his. It, oh yeah, <laughs> we're we're counting our our COVID episodes. We're at about oh, uh, this is a hundred ninety one, ninety first episode wow. of our COVID uh, special yep. that just never ended. Nope. Um, also, Gavin, you you just brought to my attention that uh, we're coming up on an anniversary, right? What, yes. What are we coming up? The lead up on? is turning four. Four so we years can almost, old. We can, we can almost drink. <laughs> I think we can in Italy and France. Oh, we, oh, we, but uh, God, um, <laughs> smoking and drinking at four. And uh, I was, I was, I mean, wine kind of fits into the the gift for yes. four years, right? What is that? The, we were trying to figure out what's the anniversary gift for four fourth anniversary, and if you know. Uh, so whisper it to yourself. But if you don't, it's <laughs> fruit and flowers. Hey, we we'll love that. Okay. The send stone us, is blue topaz. Send us your uh, oldest fruit. Yeah. Give us all your love to for fruit from Christmas, your fruit cakes. Just mail courtesy of Gavin Jackson. Courtesy of Gavin Jackson. George Ten- Rodden <laughs> Courtesy of Gavin Jackson. Oldest fruit, please. Um, and honestly, I, if people want to call and tell us, like, yeah, when some fond memories oh, from fun, the lead yeah. over four years. I know if you've been to live events. If oh you, yeah. I mean, we were giving away some of the hottest gear. I remember we were giving away handheld organ trails for a while. Yes. Like if you've gotten one of those, the call Lord of the in. Dance shirts that the, we're giving the away. The Michael Rafflin'. Flatley Lord oh, of the Dance gosh. shirts. It, it were those are. XL. I have I mean, one. I think we they're XL. Still give it away. I have one. And I'm not going to give it away. Wow. But like, if you know someone who has one, mm-hmm. I think uh, Vince Cold Brugo also has one. It's his gym office. shirt. And, I mean, he's not a tall guy, so the XL probably goes down to his. I can't like, imagine seeing. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I can't even think to talk right now. He's swole though. He is. Oh, He'll yeah. fill it up. He needs the extra room. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have any yeah, memories, I want to have some memories. Yeah, because we were. I was looking back to 2018 when we first kicked this thing off, and uh, you know the logo wasn't there yet. We were still. In our old format, we're still shaking things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Lovegrove was one of our first guests, along with Andy Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them are the Post and Courier. Jamie not there anymore. But, you know, just old times, old memories going through that. The Nuclear Boondoggle was one of our first episodes. We were talking that was Boondoggle like from, six. like, the yep. beginning of it all. I, I mean, loved the word Boondoggle. Times. And I was just fighting tooth and nail to get those episodes titled. And now look at me. Now you guys have to <laughs> listen to me. And it's just <laughs> terrible for everybody. We'll have to use, uh, I'll have to pull some old audio we can, like, listen back and be like, ugh. Yeah, remember speaking when, remember speak, when speaking of old audio uh, you brought to my attention the episode from that we recapped last January 6th. Yes, yeah, last and, yeah. Uh if if anyone is listening and they got some spare time, listen to that episode. It is uh I mean, I must have PTSD mm-hmm. sort of blocked stuff out of totally. my brain because I I heard myself talking things that I just could not remember. Yeah. It was wild. I was at the gym and I was like, let me, you know, I haven't listened to this. I haven't, I haven't thought about it. You know, I, I, you think to yourself, I do remember everything. I don't need to listen to it again. No big deal. You've been seeing the different stories come out, but when you listen to it and you, you know, you, you talk about things like worried about the nuclear launch codes being compromised at some point (laughs) or just, you know, 
Jim Clyburn talking about how he was evacuated from the Capitol and how he was going to go home at first, but then moved to an undisclosed location. Secret bunkers. With, all the, with the leadership there, and there was a lot of fighting between they the Republicans were screaming and the at each other. He yeah. was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot about these details. And then our wind down was super interesting, too, because... You know, it's, it was just it's like it's like a it was like a it's like a journal, like right, like if you're good at journaling things, which I'm not, because the writing down is always a little tedious. But when we record it, it's a nice little time capsule that we sure. get to go back to and listen to. And yeah, you do realize that oh yeah, this was like our 9/11 because that's what we talked about. A lot of people are like, oh, it's not like 9/11 or Pearl Harbor now. Well, yeah, the casual it wasn't a mass casualty event like that, but it was just as traumatic for people. We were still watching it unfold. On TV, live, Everybody and we could do at, nothing but watch it because yeah. you couldn't control it. And so that was the, the thing, trauma. The thing about it, like Pearl Harbor, the thing about it, like 9-11, especially 9-11, is that it was happening and you knew everybody in the country was paying attention yeah. to it. Like everybody in the country moment, and yeah. world was paying attention to this right now. And we were all absolutely strapped in, glued, yeah. eyeballs glued onto this. And I remember, I listening back to it, I, I forgot the the how wound up. I was. Yeah, yeah. Be from just flipping, flipping from MSNBC to CNN to Fox News and just seeing how everyone is covering it. Yeah, and like and, you said, you're just reacting. You're constantly ooh, reacting. Ooh, to ooh. It. and yeah. I'm Twitter and I'm I'm texting and like you don't it was sleep. Yeah, so you go home and like you go, you finish watching TV after that and you just like uh, yeah, still moving. And, and, but I, I uh, listening back, it really reminded me how of a how much of a calming force and adults in the room, mm. PBS and Judy's uh, Judy's coverage. Yes. And Lisa Desjardins. Lisa, Lisa Desjardins, Desjardins yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she that well, was she got she got a couple of awards <laughs> for that because she was just in the thick of it, reporting, live streaming from her camera, and Crazy. just like, how is she doing this? Calm, cool, and collective. Like I was saying back then, that's what you want in reporters in these crisis situations because you're already freaking out enough. I don't need you to be like breathless on top of that. Exactly. Tell me the news. Tell me what's happening. What you're seeing and hearing. And whew, and that's that was another good thing too is to listen back. And to remember those things because now everyone keeps trying to change things and trying to tell me yes. that, uh, you know, someone's pissing on your leg and you're telling me it's raining. It's not. Like, you know, like, I, I know what I saw. I remember how I exactly. felt. Uh, the, the, we have, you know, here's, it's, it's, here's our pod from that It's that very week, so. interesting to listen back and uh, see how far and how not far we've come. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How much uh, everyone thought that, well, this is it. All this crazy stuff is going to end wrong. These conspiracy theories are stronger than ever. There's been tons of revisionist history yeah. a- around this day. So um, call us and let us know what you think about yeah, it. Like, if you want to share your moments what, from that day. What you remember. And I, yeah, I will say just if, before we get out of this and just in line with this, I was watching a great PBS documentary about this day called Preserving Democracy. And it's not just about January 6th, but it's it really traces our roots as a country and what we've been through as a country when you go from the beginning, you know, 1776 and just how they formed the whole country and the republic and then up through to January 6th and how fragile democracy is, you start realizing, oh yeah, we have made it a pretty long way without something like this and other countries fall apart when things like this happen. Correct. And where are we right now, you know? And that's that's the big question that everyone's still holding their breath about and hopefully working through, but We've met it seven days so far this January, so let's keep going and hopefully trying to strive for a more perfect union like like our goal of a country is. Give us a call. Share some memories. Work through your trauma. 803-563-7169. You can also leave us a uh, review on iTunes. We love those, too. And stay up to date with the latest news on sceTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Happy birthday, Jamie Lovegrove.
Han er altså også... også altså. 